0: Welcome to dollarcollapse.com with John Rabino, your ringside seat for the global financial crisis. Hi, everybody. It is Wednesday, May 11th, and I'm a day late with this week's podcast, but it's a good thing, as it turns out, because uh, lots of interesting stuff was announced this morning. But first, governments around the world are inflating away their currencies, and not surprisingly, gold is back in a bull market. So now's a good time to check out Birch Gold Group. They've got a top Better Business Bureau rating. They specialize in helping clients set up gold-based IRAs, and they're waiting to hear from you. Call them at 800-355-2116 or visit their website at www.birchgold.com. And now about that big news. First, U.S. retailers are getting whacked this morning. Macy's reported first quarter comparable store sales fell 5.6%, and their operating income is down 36%. The stock is down 13% this morning. Disney missed on both earnings and revenue, and its stock is down by about 4%. It's the main factor dragging down the overall U.S. stock market today. But in general, the whole U.S. retailing complex is getting crushed. The main reason for that is slowing consumer spending and a shift towards e-commerce, With Amazon basically eating everybody else's lunch. And that's a scary story on a lot of levels for the U.S. Because first of all, bricks and mortar retailers are fairly labor intensive. In other words, they need lots of people to run these stores. So if these stores are closing, which they are on a vast scale, that means a lot of people being thrown out of work and Amazon is not going to hire them. They're highly automated on a lot of different levels. Their warehouses are mostly run by robots. So to the extent that e-commerce is squeezing bricks-and-mortar retailing off the playing field, that means a lot of people get laid off in the U.S. and the labor market gets even more questionable than it is now. You know, not that retailing is the the best line of work to be in, but it pays better than bartending and uh, cutting hair and giving manicures, uh, which is a lot of what's left. But a bigger story might be the Italian banks. Um, In in a nutshell, a couple of big Italian banks were merging and the government told them, "Okay, but before you do that, you have to actually tell the truth about your non-performing loans. Well, one of them released their numbers this morning and they were terrible. They were four times as high as last year's level. And now the Italian banks are tanking, bringing the total loss for the Italian bank sector to 40% this year alone. And now it looks like the rest of the Italian banks are gonna have to fess up because everybody understands that if the two banks that reported have non-performing loans on a scale which they've reported, then the rest of the Italian banking sector is in probably that bad a shape. And so no one wants to own these stocks. The problem for these guys, beyond the fact that they're, they're not making any money right now, is that they've got to raise a lot of capital in order to survive. But how do you raise capital? when your stock is tanking. The answer is, of course, via a big government bailout. So look for that in the year ahead and then look for that to have repercussions throughout the Eurozone. If the Italian banks get bailed out, maybe the Greek banks need to be bailed out. And then the Spanish banks and the Portuguese banks, and it goes on and on. There's really no end in sight because the extra money that has to be created, the extra debt that has to be created, if the Eurozone is going to guarantee Italian banks or or refinance them in some other way, that basically means means Germany's got to do it. And so Germany's pristine balance sheet suddenly looks a lot less AAA. And by extension, the euro looks a lot less solid. So all roads lead to a massive devaluation of the euro at some point. And the Italian banks might be the catalyst for that process. Now, speaking of all roads leading to some kind of a crisis, China Is still making news. As pretty much everybody knows by now, they've borrowed huge amounts of money and squandered a lot of it and are now kind of sort of paying a price for it. But the really interesting part of the story is that maybe for the first time ever, the mainstream media is anticipating debt related trouble in a major country. Normally, because borrowing money and spending it generates good numbers to begin with and bad numbers later on the media focuses on those good short-term numbers and doesn't realize or chooses not to do the analysis to figure out what happens when all this debt finally comes due this time around though articles are appearing everywhere in the mainstream press pointing out china's soaring debt it's rising bad loans and other signs of impending trouble Because normally that's not the case, this is an unusually interesting story. And now even China's main government-controlled newspaper is getting on board this warning about debt bandwagon. They just published an article that acknowledged the risks of a buildup in debt and said that China needs to face up to its non-performing loans. The article referred to excessive leverage as the original sin that screws up asset pricing and trading in lots of different markets and recommended deleveraging rather than trying to juice up short-term growth with more borrowing. So what does this mean? First, it means that if China actually goes through with trying to deleverage, that we're embarking on another global economic experiment. Uh, Over-indebted countries very seldom try to deleverage Because the pain comes before the payoff, and that's not politically acceptable to the guys in charge. So if China tries this, it will have to let a lot of zombie companies and local governments default and fire millions of workers. So this process won't be smooth. Meanwhile, a deleveraging China will buy less commodities from the rest of the world, which would put downward pressure on the prices of iron ore, copper, oil, and lots of other things. So in effect, China would export its deflation to the rest of the world. So we would feel the effects of the second biggest economy trying to deleverage. So stay tuned. Very, very interesting story. Meanwhile, oil, which had bounced from the high 20s to the mid 40s, had started to fall again. Uh, And then came the fire in Alberta, Canada, which knocked 1.6 million barrels a day from Canadian production and terrorist attacks in Nigeria that cut their crude production to a 22-year low. Now, these are temporary setbacks. And in Canada's case, production will be back online fairly shortly, probably. So the big story in the oil market remains Iran coming back online. You know, they, they were hit with sanctions by the U.S., a few years back and so they've been largely out of the oil market but those sanctions have been lifted and now they're ramping up their production. This is a huge chunk of new oil coming on the market because Iran is potentially the second biggest oil exporter in the world. So that means that we will be producing more oil than we use for years to come and the price is going to stay under pressure. This of course is a big deal from the point of view of all the debt that's been taken on by U.S. and other oil producers that is now in a lot of cases going to be defaulted on. So the next year especially is going to see a drumbeat of trouble from the oil patch, which will color our perception of what else is going on in the world. Now let's shift gears and talk about something that we don't normally talk about in this podcast, which is politics. Historically, when governments borrow too much money and start acting crazy, like, hours are today. Voters start to look for alternatives from outside the mainstream, which adds to the chaos. And that's happening around the world right now. In France, Marine Le Pen of the far-right National Front Party is the single biggest vote-getter. And the sitting socialist president is basically out of the picture. He might get 20% of the vote in the next election if he's lucky. And in Britain, the referendum to leave the European Union is being spearheaded by Nigel Farage of the UK Independence Party, which is also a far right party. And at the moment, the vote looks too close to call. In Spain, the biggest winner in the most recent election was the far left. But no one can form a government as the votes are currently distributed. So they're actually going to redo the election. So it shouldn't be a surprise that the US is in a similar situation. Bernie Sanders is giving Hillary a run for her money and Donald Trump, who literally no one took seriously a year ago, has the Republican nomination wrapped up. Now, current polls actually show him close to Hillary, 48 percent to 44 percent, give or take, recently, which means he actually has a chance of winning. So what does this mean? Basically, people are turning against the deep state, which is made up of the organizations that really run the country, the Wall Street banks, the military industrial complex, the career regulators who actually work for the companies they're supposed to regulate these guys are making such a mess of things that voters are now willing to go with outsiders who promise to pull the system out by the roots and the the sad thing is that it really doesn't matter at this point whether we elect an outsider like trump or a servant of the deep state like clinton because the damage is already done we've already borrowed more money than we can ever hope to pay off and that debt has to blow up it has to be worked off somehow via a painful process of one kind or another so whoever is in charge Will probably preside over an epic devaluation of the dollar and all the other major fiat currencies. That's the dollar collapse thesis, basically, that our, our debts are becoming untenable and our only remaining choice is going to be to devalue on a vast scale. So the political chaos that we're seeing around the world right now is all pointing towards massive devaluation. That's going to be Perceived, no matter who's in charge, as the only possible alternative. In other words, the only alternative that keeps the people in charge in power. Which of course brings us back to gold. Because gold and silver are forms of money that governments can't make more of, you know, you have to dig them out of the ground and traditionally we get about 2% more each year. So the supply is constrained. They're immune to the kinds of chaos that happen when governments overborrow and then end up having to devalue the uh, the fiat currencies that they're trying to manage. So they tend to go up in price or at least maintain their purchasing power during times of chaos. And since chaos is clearly coming, we've got it economically, obviously, or now political chaos is coming, which will feed back into the economy. It's highly probable that precious metals, along with other real assets like farmland and very, very well-chosen real estate and possibly energy-related assets will do well and hold their value while the rest of the world appears to be spinning out of control. Anyhow, that's enough for this week. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Dollar Collapse. For regular info and updates throughout the day, go to dollarcollapse.com.